All right, everyone. Happy birthday, Commons LA. Um, real quick, uh, men who were at the, the men's retreat last year. Yeah, okay, okay. I'm, it's escaping me. Who won the wall sit competition? <laughs> yeah, they all blacked out and fell down. No blood to the brain. It was so hard. Um, yours truly won the wall sit competition. <laughs> that is just dad strength. All right. Um, men, I would encourage you, go. It's going to be really, really... Um, not only like knitting the hearts of men together, but also stirring one another to follow Jesus um, and to find strength in him and even begin to understand what does it mean to be a man, an embodied male following Jesus in our day, okay? So go and sign up there. Um, I have a, it's our birthday, right? And so Chris led us in singing happy birthday to ourselves. And if you would have looked back, I was ostriching behind the coffee table or the coffee bar, plugging my ears because that's like, to me, I don't know about you, but I feel a little cringy singing, singing happy birthday to, our, to ourselves. But anyway, we are here because of Jesus. Um, that's why we exist. My name is Devin. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'm a staff elder here at the Commons LA. And one invitation, because it's our birthday, we do this We've done it over the last two years. We're going to continue to do it this year and, Lord willing, in future years. Um, one of the fundamental elements of following Jesus is bringing all that we are and all that we have underneath his lordship. And a very tangible, practical way. I know that song was just singing, all I have is a hallelujah. I have nothing else that's fit for a king. And we understand like the heart of that, right? That God wants our hearts over everything else. But we do also have things to honor God with. One of those things is our money, is our finances. God is the one, Scripture says, who gives to us all that we have. doesn't matter how smart you are, how hard you worked. At the end of the day, the one who put you in the position with the skills and opportunities that you have and the energy to do those things is God. And so, one of our practices as a church following Jesus is to uh, give not only, you know, living lives of generosity, but to give in a disciplined way to the church, all right? So we, we invite everyone who calls the Commons LA their home church to give what we call first fruits giving, okay? It's not just deciding a number and then saying, you know, I'll give 50 bucks uh, once a month kind of thing, but the position of faith that says, Lord, I've prayed about a percent of my income in the same way that your people of old in Scripture gave the first fruits that grew on the tree, the first animals that were born, we're given to the house of the Lord, okay? That's a very faith-filled proposition because you don't know if another baby's, baby lamb is coming. You don't know if more fruit is coming. So what we do to try and best represent that kind of faith-filled giving is decide on a percent of our income that we give, okay? You might be wondering like, oh my gosh, birthday talking about money. That's not the main thing. It's not so you can give a gift to the Commons LA. Here's what we do this week. Our birthday week with everything that is given, so starting this morning at 12 a.m. all the way through the week, we give everything that is given away to a particular ministry that God has put on our hearts as leaders. Last year, two years ago, it was New Covenant Delhi, a church that was being planted in Delhi and that we're still partnered with. 
If you want to give to them, you can go to tcla.co slash India, and you can still give regularly to them, and we make sure that it gets there. It's a little hairy trying to get money into countries that are a little closed off or very closed off to the advance of the gospel. That's what we did two years ago for our first year. Last year, um, Arun and Trina Bahadurian had been a huge blessing to us and also had come into some need in their ministry with Remain and through a large season of suffering. We decided this is the family that God has put in front of us to be able to bless with our annual birthday giving. This year, we actually have a similar situation to last year, where God has crossed our paths with a family that's doing ministry in our city that loves Jesus and has need. And so we want to say, well, my goodness, just like the New Testament writes about how our surplus fulfills the needs of other people in the kingdom of God outside of our walls, like the Corinthian church and the church of Macedonia, we want to do the same. So this week, we are giving, for our birthday giving, all of the money that we uh, is given to the Commons LA is going to be given to Isaiah and Lauren, uh, Lauren Robertson. So Isaiah has been here for the last two times in the last month, like four times in the last three months, teaching us, amazing man of God. He and his family love Jesus. They moved out here to take a staff role with the church, and I asked him about sharing some of this with you all. And it went really sideways. And so for a long time, trying to be faithful to Jesus in the midst of that church, he was pointing them to Jesus and dealing with conflict and eventually came to the point where they decided we need to leave out of faithfulness to Jesus and for the health of our family. And so they're in between ministry roles right now. He's candidating for a couple more churches, but in the meantime, churches can be very slow in dragging our feet and praying and these things. In the meantime, um, they've gone into a little bit of debt. And so this is not just, a, hey, we want to love them. This is like, no, they have deficit, and many of us have surplus. This is a gospel thing. And so I want to invite you not to just think good thoughts about Jesus and affectionate things about people that we respect and admire, but we want to actually bring our possessions under the rule and reign of Jesus and be generous in ways that the Spirit would call us to. So I'm going to give us a couple of minutes right now. You can scan the QR code um, on the weekly that you have, the liturgy, or on the seat in front of you. You could give a dollar. You could give $500. I talked to Kate. We, just for full transparency, duels are going to give $250 this week so that it finds its way to the Robertsons. All right? It's above and beyond what we normally give. So... Um, I want to invite us now to just prayerfully consider, and if you can't make spontaneous decisions like that, that's okay. Write down somewhere that you should make a decision this week in these two minutes, all right? So, Lord, thank you for the gift of sustaining us over these six years. We pray that, as you said, it is more blessed to give than to receive Jesus. We would be blessed in our giving right now. Um, Holy Spirit, just move among us and speak. All right, I'll give you about 60 more seconds. There's a button on the flow code, by the way. That's why the scanning the QR codes works.
You can continue to wrap that up if you are giving through the website. Um, just a note that came to my mind. You can select from the funds to give to, either the general fund or the birthday fund. Both of those this week will go to the Robertsons. All right. Would you open up in your Bibles to Ezekiel 37 or in your handout, the liturgy handout? We have the text from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 through 14. We will be continuing in uh, the second part of our series that we're dedicating to uh, learning what the Scriptures have to say about Holy Spirit, about God, the Holy Spirit, okay? We have dedicated this entire year, as you see on the front of your Sunday liturgy, to learning to pray, prioritizing learning to pray. And a lot of us in this context are uh, more internal processors, more intellectual or heady. Um, some of us are. And that can oftentimes make us a little closed off to experiencing uh, the work of Holy Spirit. Because most oftentimes, the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit moves in us and among us as the people of Jesus um, to experience the realities of God, okay? One of my favorite theologians said that God the Holy Spirit makes real for the people of God the presence of God, all right? So we can't be closed off to experiences. We can't mistrust out of hand experiences lest we grieve Holy Spirit, as the scriptures say. So today, we're going to look at one of the motifs that, um, on our birthday, God uses to speak of giving life to his people and to human beings in the earth. Okay, we're going to be looking at the motif of breath. What does it mean when Scripture says the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, is like breath? All right? So would you stand with me as we read this passage from Ezekiel? Ezekiel is in... The Old Testament, it's one of the major prophets, called the major prophets simply because of the length of the book that he wrote. You have it here, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 14. It is a very famous passage of a vision that Ezekiel received from God. I'll read this and then we will pray. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by his Spirit and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were a great many of them on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, it's a title that is most frequently used in Ezekiel of Ezekiel himself, can these bones live? I replied, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, Prophesy concerning these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to these bones. I will cause breath to enter you and you will live. I will put tendons on you, make flesh grow on you, and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you so that you come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded. While I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. As I looked, tendons appeared on them, 
Flesh grew and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the Lord God says, breath, come from the four winds and breathe into these slain so that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, the breath entered them and they came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Look how they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them, my people, and lead you into the land of Israel. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken it, and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we want to sit under your word today. We want to ask that the reality of our living Jesus Christ would be made more tangible to us by your spirit. We open our hearts, we open our minds, we open our hands, our very lives, and our church to you right now, Holy Spirit, to have your way. We need you. There are a hundred different paths in this room that have led to right here, whether they have been paths of joy or paths of sorrow, paths of emptiness and longing or fullness and joy, you know. Please, do what only you can do. Lift our eyes up to the ruling and reigning Jesus and fill us, help us, manifest your presence, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, you can take your seats. So, Ezekiel, a little bit of background, is a man who was taken into exile with the Israelites when Babylon came and laid siege to the southern kingdom of Judah, the remnant of a couple of tribes in the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding areas, whom God had sent multiple prophets to, saying, turn back, you bear the, the image of being my people by dwelling in my land and having the temple and all of the religious theocracy around you, but your hearts are far from me. And after sending prophet after prophet and the people not hearing those prophetic messages to render their hearts and lives back to God, doing justice to the oppressed and marginalized and outcasts and the rich and wealthy bowing low before the Lord and the lowly being welcomed in and um, being representatives of the very heart of God in a people, they refused, and so God sent Babylon to come and take them from the land and destroy the temple. Ezekiel was one of those who went. He was born of the family of Aaron. So he was the, the, so Aaron's the first priest of God, and his lineage is uh, the line, the genetic line, 
that became the priests. So Ezekiel is supposed to be a priest, but he's in exile. And he turns 30, the year, the age, when priests would be anointed for service to the Lord in the temple. And in chapter 1, instead of him being anointed a priest, God comes to him in visions and anoints him a prophet. So Ezekiel is one of the most, one of the foremost, if not the foremost prophet about the glory of God. Over and over again, you hear throughout his book about the glory of God from that first vision of the throne of God coming to Ezekiel and appointing him as a prophet to the last vision where God comes back to Israel in a renewed and restored better than ever temple. And the glory of the Lord goes out from there as a river bringing life throughout the whole earth. So Ezekiel is a prophet all about the glory of the Lord. And glory is one of those words that we don't quite grasp because it sounds like vague spirituality, right? It's one of those Bible terms that doesn't mean very much. It might mean brightness. Some of us have heard it means weightiness. Those are good. Those are true. Those are accurate. Um, I've heard it said that the glory of God is his bright presence. It's the radiance that you see when you are near God, okay? Whether that's internal in your heart or even external as Ezekiel saw. So then Ezekiel gets this vision in Ezekiel 37. Knowing the context that Israel is out in exile, in the wilderness of being exiles in Babylon, God gives Ezekiel this vision. The bones of Israelites are in this valley. Ezekiel says they are very dry, meaning they're dead, dead, no hope of life. And God says that this represents the cries of the Israelites in exile. Verse 11, they say, the Israelites, my people are saying, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are cut off. That's not what the bones are saying. That's what the people around Ezekiel are currently saying. And God responds to them with this vision he gives Ezekiel representing their cries. Okay? We are cut off. What do you think they're cut off from? It's participatory. <laughs> what are they cut off from? God. God. The Spirit. The land. Yeah. They're out of the promised land. Now, real quick, I want to distinguish something here because of the current moment that we're in. This is not speaking of like nation state of Israel that the UN created in 1946. This is speaking of the people of Israel and God bringing them into the promised land. I want to separate those two because sometimes we read the words of Scripture and assume that the present-day nation of Israel is exactly A for A kind of thing. That's real complicated, not for right now, all right? Come talk to me afterwards if you want to hear my thoughts. I do not pretend to be an authority on that. Now that we've separated those two things, we can continue on. Um, they're cut off from God from the presence and power of God in the land that God had, had promised to them. When they say, we are cut off, our bones are dry and our hope has perished, it's because they no longer sensed that they were in the presence of God. It's because the temple of God is the very locus and place of the presence and power of God throughout the Old Testament. You could summarize all of the Old Testament 
as God getting his presence back into the, the presence of people. All right? After the garden, Garden of Eden, where the fall occurs, sin enters into the world, self-centeredness comes in. The essence of the fall is human beings trying to do life on their own terms. We turn away from the giver of life. And we go to and we live for what we think will give us life. And so God installs a rescue plan. And so throughout the whole Old Testament, it's about God taking a person, an Abraham, and turning him into a family of Joseph, and then turning him into a nation with Moses. And through that nation, he promises to bring back the nations into his presence to experience his power and glory. Make sense? They are experiencing a contradiction in that story. God, where is your presence? We don't, we don't have you anymore. We are cut off. So think about what their assumption is about what it means to have hope and to have life in your bones. It's to have God's presence. It's to no longer be cut off. It's to dwell with God. And so Ezekiel gets this powerful vision of bones in a valley and what God intends to do with people who feel cut off among his people. He tells them in verse 14, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. This is the declaration of the Lord. Ezekiel first speaks to the bones according to what God tells them to do. They, they get sinews and skin. You can imagine the like horror movie-like vision that that would be. But they're still like laying down on the ground. And then Ezekiel realizes there's no life in them. And so that's when God says, okay, now you're going to speak to the breath. And then in verse 14, that same breath pivots into spirit. There's something really important you have to know when you're reading the scriptures in both the Old Testament and the Hebrew word for breath and the New Testament and the Hebrew word for wind, or the Greek word for wind. You have these similarities that actually are a word group that come from the same word group as spirit. So breath. In all these places, could be translated spirit, but based on the context, translators have seen that it makes more sense to say, well, the angle on this is breath. And then in verse 14, it's God speaking specifically about what's going to bring the life back into these people, into these bodies, is going to be the Spirit of God. So, God promises that He will bring life back into these people who feel dead, and actually that even their ancestors and those who have died, a profound promise is given. It's in verse 13. You will know that I am the Lord, my people, when I bring you up 
when I open your graves and bring you up from them. God promises not only to bring spirit and life to those who feel cut off in their experience, God also promises to bring life back to those who have died. And so imagine being an Israelite in exile. That was a brutal, brutal experience. People in your family had been killed, had been slaughtered at the hands of the Babylonians. Family members had been removed separated from each other. And God here promises not only a spiritual reality, but a physical resurrection. So what does this old vision mean for us today? Some of these things, hopefully, will be ringing sounds into your heart and voices into your ears that sound a whole lot like the voice of Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises. When Jesus begins to speak to his disciples about the Spirit of God and how they will receive life in him, Jesus is fulfilling what God's people had heard from long ago. That God's Spirit is the only way that people can experience and have life as we were created to have. This is not saying, you know, as a Christian, we, we experience life to another level. And if you choose not to follow Jesus and not to participate in the work of the Spirit, then you have life at a lesser degree. This is making a more profound claim. This is making the simple claim that no one can become alive to God apart from God's Spirit indwelling them. That real life, as you and I were created for by God, can only be experienced by God's Spirit, who is life. So what does that mean for like our daily lives? You know, we're, we're walking around. I had 19 years before I became a follower of Jesus, before I became a Christian, I was alive for those 19 years. Well, when God speaks about eternal life, what's very important to understand is that for the last several decades, the last couple of centuries, we have emphasized that eternal life is about a future destination and a length of time. So eternal life to us sounds like you'll go to heaven when you die. There is certainly a hope that we need to know, just like Ezekiel says in verse 13, that we will all live again in resurrected, glorified bodies, reconciled to God and one another, fully and finally, pain, suffering will all be gone. That is a great hope. But it's not the only one, and it's not even necessarily the primary one that is emphasized in the New Testament. While we await for that life, there is a resurrection life to be lived here and now following Jesus. That is the Spirit-filled life. So, the theological category for this reality of the breath of life in the Spirit of God coming into us is the theological category called regeneration. Regeneration. 
The idea is not that we are inanimate spiritual substance that the Spirit animates like clay. That would be called generation. The Scriptures tell us that because something has gone radically wrong in the world, we are dead to God in that state of being cut off, as the Israelites say, rather than alive to God. That doesn't mean all we can do is objectively evil or bad, but it does mean that we cannot experience the life of God on our own because we've sought to live our lives apart from God on our own. So, this is a similar experience that I've had in the church, okay? In the church, we are not... uh, We have the the image and appearance. You're gathered here on a Sunday morning. I know the hearts of so many of you long for Jesus. But I need to say, too, that this life and and this, this breath of the Spirit is not only for those outside of the church. Many people in the church have the appearance of those who are following Jesus without the life of actually following Jesus. And so maybe you grew up in the church and you're going through the motions of like what it means to be a good person, of what God wants for you. This is a really, really urgent call and invitation to you as well. Because here's the thing. Many of us assume that there's certain behaviors that are the Christian life and we don't experience anything about the presence and the filling of God, about the joy, the peace, the love that are the tangible experiences of what happens to a human being made in the image of God when we encounter the presence of God. I I mentioned last week that I coached some of my kids' sports teams, and I had this really peculiar experience where we had tryouts for flag football at the middle school that my, my son is at, my older son is at, and a couple of the best kids... Uh, that went through the tryouts and like made it look so effortless to play the game of football. It was like they were the shoe-ins. It was just like, I don't need to see any more after you do one thing out there. I circle your name. I put stars all around it, highlight it, and say, yep, you're on the team. You can go home now. <laughs> so we released the rosters a couple days later for all the kids that made it. And then we show up to practice, and those kids aren't at practice. We're like, dang, we got to get the message out better because it's really hard actually to get messages to kids in a really controlled environment like a public LAUSD middle school. So we're like, we must have just missed it. We got their contact info, emailed their parents, all of that. We're like, hey, they're not, at, they're not at practice. And we run into them on the way to the next practice through the halls. Hey, so-and-so, you going to be at practice? I said, ah, I don't know if I want to play on the team. What? You came to the tryout. What, is it, what does it mean that you don't know if you want to play? Like, can I help? Is there something you're afraid of? Can I help clarify anything? Nah, I just don't know if I want to do that. And it starts to click. I feel like my eyes were opened. Then a lot of kids came. There were like 50 plus kids at this tryout. A lot of the kids, some of the kids rather, came to the tryout to show that they could make the team. They wanted to show off the skills that they had. They wanted everyone around to see at that tryout that they were the ones who could easily make the cut. They make the cut. 
when the time came to actually submit part of yourself to a team, didn't want to be a part of it. They wanted the image of being a football player on the Emerson Middle School football team <laughs> without the substance. They wanted the, the image without the cost. Just like following Jesus. Some of us can assume that the image of following Jesus, that showing up and showing off your voice in worship for everyone to hear, dang, so-and-so praising Jesus, even giving generously, serving with everything you have and giving so much of yourself to the cause of Jesus, like all of those things are good. But if they are missing the spirit of the living God, if they don't come from the posture of need and openness and humility to bow our knees to God and say, your will be done, not my will be done. Then they come from a place of still being centered on us and not on Jesus. And you'll notice that on one of our banners around here, as a people seeking to embody the gospel, our first value is that we would live Jesus-centered. We can only do that by the power of Holy Spirit who is the very breath of the life of God entering into our bodies. So maybe you have never experienced the exhilarating joy that Jesus is real. That you can experience Him. That you can know Him. That He can actually live in you and through you. That's what the Spirit does. And we're, listen, this is not an idealized, naive thing. There will be very hard days following Jesus, and that does not mean that the Spirit has left you. But it does not replace the need for the life of God in your soul, bringing you to this place of knowing Jesus intimately. That's why Ezekiel says from the mouth of God, once my spirit comes into them, once I breathe life into these bones and bodies, they will know that I am the Lord. Not know only. Know in your heart. I still remember the moment I met Jesus because it was as though my eyes had been opened to the Jesus that I'd heard about so many times growing up, at Young Life, going to church on Easter. The moment when I heard someone speaking about how Jesus loves even people who think that they're really, really good people, and yet still need the life that only Jesus can bring. It was like the wool was pulled off of my eyes, and I wanted to just give everything for more of that experience. And so I want to invite you, if you have never experienced that, maybe to be open to the possibility that God's Spirit wants to bring life into your soul, whether for the first time or the first time in a long time. For others of you, there is this reality of following Jesus that is continually resubmitting ourselves underneath Jesus in such a way that we invite His Spirit to refill us.
right? We're not talking about second baptism if some of you grew up in a church or a context of Christianity where that occurs. We're talking about what the Apostle Paul speaks of in Ephesians 4 when he says, be filled with the Spirit of God. Be soaked in the presence of God. So when we gather here on Sundays, we're not like just honoring Jesus a little bit and then going on trusting that he'll keep blessing us as long as we keep worshiping him. We are re-entering the place where Jesus says he's pleased to dwell and where the Spirit works, that we can be resaturated with the life and breath of God. Okay? So, main takeaway that I want all of us to have in our mind, an urgency that we need, Holy Spirit, as the way we experience the eternal life Jesus secured for us. Holy Spirit is the only way that you and I can experience the reality and have the eternal life that Jesus bought for us. I don't think I emphasized it enough last week, so I want to at least mention it here. Holy Spirit's primary task is to knit us together with Jesus. Holy Spirit will always make more of Jesus in your heart and life. He will draw you into the presence of Jesus. He will compel you to sacrifice for Jesus. He'll make you want to love Jesus more and more. That's a very good thing that you and I should be doing. We should live our lives out of a devotion and love for Jesus. And that is what the Holy Spirit does in us. That's what life in the Spirit looks like, is loving God and loving people. Holy Spirit is how we experience the breath of God, the eternal life that Jesus bought for us. Okay? My deep longing is that we would grow together in our awareness of and participation with Holy Spirit. Not as this divine energy, but as a person, the person of God who comes and has been sent by Father and Son to make God and His presence real to us and to knit us together with Jesus who's living. Then we can face anything. Here are four simple elements of what this life in the Spirit can look like for us. I already mentioned First one, Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to us. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10, bits and pieces of it say, You welcomed the message of the gospel with joy from the Holy Spirit, you who turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Life is only found in Jesus. Anything else will dehumanize you and cause you to dehumanize others. Only Jesus is the one who's worthy of you and I living for and from, and he's the one who invites any of us to come to him today. So if you're hearing my voice and you're like, I'm investigating Jesus, I'm curious about this, I've met a couple people from the commons and they do seem a little bit different, like what is up, this is what you need to know. Simply opening yourself to Jesus to say, if you are alive, come and help me, I will bow my knee to you, I want to live with you. God will always answer that prayer because the Spirit is a person who receives that invitation.
If that's you, we have our prayer team that will be over here to my right and your left, simply going to them and saying, hey, I, th- I want to start following Jesus. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? They would be happy to. It's one of the primary reasons that we gather here is so that we can continue to invite others into the life that we have found in Jesus. And the second thing I'll highlight in this that the Spirit gives us life is uh, baptism in November, November 5th. If you haven't been baptized, I want to invite you to not only do something publicly that displays God's goodness, but also to a unique thing that the scriptures call a sacrament, where we encounter God in a unique way. That God is just pleased in a unique way as we are dunked into water. We're going to have a hot tub right here, an inflatable hot tub. And we will baptize you right here. We'll give you clothes and a towel, everything. It would be helpful if you had RSVP. Actually, no, we actually, you have to let us know that you want to do it beforehand through the QR code, okay? We have a little form on there. But God meets you in a mysterious yet real way when we participate with Jesus, his death and resurrection through baptism. Second thing the Spirit does besides making Jesus real to us, life by the Spirit who is breath brings unity among his people. Life following Jesus is not solitary. It is not isolated. It's very common to think, I love Jesus, not so much the church, so I'm going to live my own way, add Jesus into my life, when the authors of the New Testament, I think, would say you can't follow Jesus without following Jesus in the church. It's his body. The Holy Spirit brings unity among people. We have a whole lot of differences in this room. Some of us grew up poor. Some of us grew up rich. Variety of ethnicities. Variety of opinions and politics and other things and preferences. We are not centered around human preferences, but around the living Jesus. That's why the scriptures say that we are called to, we are urged in Ephesians 4 to walk worthy of the calling you have received together with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'll be really honest with you. As a leader in the church for a long time, it will be very frustrating to belong to a people called a church. You will be hurt. You will be annoyed. You will dislike certain people. And that's the exact context that Jesus saves us into. We are a beautiful yet broken family, and Jesus intends by his Spirit to keep us knit together because Jesus is our unity, not our preferences. Okay? This life in the Spirit, the breath of God, looks like a united church that overlooks so much in one another to prioritize centering ourselves on Jesus together. That does not mean that we don't pursue justice. It does not mean that we don't do mercy. It does not mean a whole lot of things. But it does mean that centrally. Last thing. Life in the Spirit brings the healing of bodies and freedom from evil spirits. This is something that in our like materialist world, where science is the only thing that seems to be able to prove real stuff to us, 
we are confronted by Jesus and his worldview. We'll unapologetically stand with Jesus as the one who knows what reality is like instead of what our eyes can observe. We have seen the power of God to heal on a regular basis as a church through prayer. Life in the Spirit does not just bring life to us, it actually brings life to others through us. And so as we've prayed for one another, as we've been honest and vulnerable and opened ourselves to the hope of being healed by God, we've seen healing from all sorts of things as a people. That's why when Jesus sent out his disciples to be messengers of his kingdom, what did he say? Go out and heal the sick and proclaim the kingdom. Proclaim the kingdom and cast out demons. Did you know that demons still work today? Yeah. yeah. That feeling when you feel crippled by anger that is paralyzing, or you feel despair that you think you could never get out of bed again, that is very likely a form adding to an emotion or an experience that you've already had. You know, there's, we're humans with real emotions. But when it is taken into hyperdrive, that is often what spiritual warfare is like. The enemy seeks to cripple us through things like that. We even see in the New Testament that there are spirits who cause physical affliction. And as a people, we don't just say, oh, well, that must be an evil spirit, and that must be an evil spirit. But we do discern together, especially through what the Scriptures call the discernment of spirits, whether a spirit is exalting Jesus or a spirit is tearing, uh, advancing brokenness in the world and darkness. And we get to speak, even as Ezekiel spoke to the bones, to broken bodies and to evil spirits with the authority of Jesus. That's why... We'll wrap up with this. In John 20, verse 21, Jesus draws in his inner 12, and he breathes on them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. He was acting out the reality of Pentecost, that when the Spirit falls, it's not just to bring life to our bodies, but that we would then become life-giving presences on behalf of Jesus through the power of God's Holy Spirit to speak and minister in the authority of Jesus. You probably and maybe should feel inadequate for that. That might be a sign of humility. It's a sign of pride if you refuse to do what Jesus calls you to do. It might be a sign of humility if you feel inadequate for what Jesus calls you to do. But that's what the Spirit does among his people. So I want to invite you to step out in faith with us and be learning among us. None of us feels like experts around here. But we do believe that the Spirit is where life is found, whether for the first time, the thousandth time, or by the pushing back of darkness and the healing of bodies and souls. That's what His Spirit does. Amen? So we're going to pray now, as we've been doing each week this year, and I want to invite us to simply cry out for Holy Spirit to bring us life. It might be life uh, for the first time in turning to Jesus, but for more of us, it's probably bringing us life in a variety of ways. During pre-service prayer, I'm not going to call it that, uh, during Sunday prayer, 
Pre-service prayer sounds really boring and like you never want to be there. Sunday prayer, pray before the gathering for what God's doing here. We read Psalm 23 that God leads us beside still waters. He restores our soul. He brings us life to the full. That's what we get to ask Him for by the power of Holy Spirit among us. Amen?